0: Well, so psyched you guys are back and listening to everyone talk to Liz. And and I thought I'd start with this. Have you ever had an aha moment, sort of that instant where time stops and you suddenly step out of yourself and you look at your life and decide something's got to change. Something's got to give. This is what I have to do if I'm ever going to reach my potential. Okay, so I've certainly had a few of those, and I know so many guests on my podcast at times have had their backs up against the wall and decided in a second, aha, I know who I really want to be, and I know what I need to do to get there. Well, my next guest had that epiphany at the age of 18. He had no college options and was a dishwasher at a restaurant. Today, you know what? There's a good bet you've eaten in one of his many restaurants, so how did he go from dishwasher to founding what has become a multi-million dollar restaurant empire? Let's ask Cameron Mitchell, founder and CEO of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. He is the emperor of his empire. Cameron, uh, listen, let's just blow listeners away. From dishwasher to owning more than 36 restaurants, 15 different concepts, 12 different states.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um Actually, there's several more than that. I sold 22 uh, back in 2008 to Ruth Chris Steakhouse and then also have built a sister company, which we have 22 restaurants in five states in that company. So it's really, uh, I've built probably uh, 90 restaurants or so since I got started, since I went on my own back in
0: 1993. Wow. And let me take you to that old 18-year-old, or should I say that young 18-year-old Cameron Mitchell. Uh, You Rewind the clock a little bit for us to Mm -hmm. growing up in central Ohio. Um, I worked there too. I know Upper Arlington, which is where you grew up. And people used to call it Upper Arlington, like with with the glass jaw of aristocracy. But you had a different experience in Upper Arlington growing up.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, my folks separated and I got divorced uh, through a really long lengthy process. Uh, Took about three years from nine till about 12. And then I saw my dad every other weekend for a while and then stopped seeing him. And I was angry and I got into smoking and drinking and um, drugs and and just was spiraling downhill. And my mom uh, wanted me to go to Arlington School. So she kept me there, even though she was an administrative assistant and I always Say we lived in a have-not section of Upper Arlington, and we did. And there are a lot of times where she couldn't afford to even give me a dollar for lunch. Um, I used to have to work in the high school cafeteria to get lunch uh, and wash dishes for 20 minutes or so during my my break uh, to help them out. So it was kind of a difficult uh, childhood. I eventually uh, dropped out of high school and ran away from home and lived on the streets for about six months and came back what was going to be my junior year in high school, the start of it. I, uh, I went back to school, and I and I I needed money. I couldn't. Uh, my mom couldn't give me any money. and I needed money to work, and so I got a job at a local steakhouse uh, as a dishwasher. I started as two thirteen an hour in nineteen eighty. Which a steakhouse? It was Hyde. Uh, it was uh, Cork and Cleaver on Old Anderson Road up oh, there. Oh sure, sure.
0: Now,
1: so, which is now Hyde Park. But anyways, and I was just working for beer money in high school and. Um, I had the harebrained idea to run for senior class president at the end of my junior year, <laughs> so I ran for senior class president, gave a speech, great speech, and and I won. And um, but in high school, I didn't. I always say I had the can do, I didn't have the will do, and so uh, I ended up uh, having a one point oh five GPA, and I finished uh, five ninety two out of five ninety seven in my class, and the one class I actually got a C, and the only class was public speaking, and that's how I gave my great speech to get elected. But I couldn't uh, graduate with my class on time and because uh, I didn't fulfill the requirements, et cetera, and couldn't go to commencement and deliver the address. And uh, Oh,
0: my God. The so class. the class president
1: could yeah. not go to commencement. Yeah, right. Now, the good news on that whole thing is I still run all the class reunions, and we do great food and beverage at all of our reunions for <laughs> the past uh, many, many years. But... Uh, Anyway, so I got out and I didn't want to go right off to college and in, in Arlington, 93% of the kids go right to college. It's a pretty straight shot. And I didn't want to do that. Not that I didn't want to go to college. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was just struggling living at home with mom working for beer money and um, opened up uh, Max and Irma's right there on Kenny and Henderson, which, you know, in uh, 1981, uh, December of 1981, right after I graduated and, and got out of summer school and all that. And, uh, you know, I was just, uh, I got suspended for three days for being late too many times and uh, was the laziest guy in the kitchen. And and it was just, you know, I was just struggling uh, hard. And one day I I got, uh, I got suspended for three days. I was on probation for 30 days after that. And a little over a week later, after I came back from my suspension, it was a Friday afternoon and I was working as a double shift that day as a.m. cook and a p.m. host. And uh, it was during shift change. Back in those days, that restaurant was really busy. It would not be uncommon for it to do a thousand guests on a. Okay,
0: l- let me let our listeners know. Max and Irma's is, it's really a great restaurant. It's very similar to TGI Fridays with the vibe, right. but it's more family. I-, I can't explain it. We went there all the time when I worked at Channel Six in Columbus, right. Ohio.
1: So it- a bit very busy restaurant. So it was at four o'clock in the afternoon, shift change, the AM. Uh, crew was leaving. The PM crew was coming on. Um, the restaurant was half full already. The bar was packed with happy hour. Uh, it was pandemonium in the kitchen. The managers were barking orders out, and and employees were trying to get food before their shift started, and 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 we were already half full. And, and I just remember I had that epiphany. Right then and there, I, looked across, I was working the grill station, getting ready to leave and go home and change and come back as a host and I uh, looked across the kitchen. Time froze and I uh, had this moment of clarity. I said, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. It was clear as a bell to me. I knew I love this business and this is what I'm going to do. So I I worked my double shift that day. I came home that night uh, about midnight and I wrote out my goals. I said I was going to go to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. I'd heard about that as the Harvard of culinary schools and I was going to uh, graduate from there, become executive chef at 23, so uh, five years later. That was my five-year plan. Uh, general manager at 24, regional at 26, vice president of operations at 30, and president of a restaurant company by the time I was 35. Did you do it? Oh, yeah. I beat goal, but I, <laughs> Wait,
0: okay, stop there. Yeah. You wrote this down, what, on the yellow legal pad, something yeah, like paper, that? piece of paper at home.
1: And I how at home
0: at how important... Room. Was that actual activity? That move? Because oddly, I did the same thing back in the day. I said, "Okay, in a year, I better get a job in local news as at least a weekend reporter or something." And then I, but, you know, in five years, I want to be in a top thirty market, and then and then I need to be at the network in such and such years. I didn't hit all of my metrics when it came to the timing of it, mm-hmm. uh, but. Just by writing it down, it's almost like I opened a door. Is that how you felt?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I've I've, uh, spoken about it many, many times over the years. And, you know, I woke my mom up at one in the morning. I said, I know what I want to do with myself and the rest of my life. And I shared my goals with her, and she was quite relieved. And, you know, um, I I went back to work Saturday morning, literally 180 degree turn you know, I was from the laziest guy in the kitchen to the hardest working guy in the kitchen, the guy with the lousiest attitude in the kitchen to the guy with the best attitude in the kitchen. And and I was uh, no longer working uh, for the man or for somebody else. I was working for myself and my career and my future and and really never got out work since and never looked back. Um, I know I applied to culinary school. I got turned down because my high school grades. So they had uh had me go to a local community college and take a math and English course. And I did, and I got A's and reapplied. And I, and I finally got in and um, ended up having a great time and fell in love with the Culinary Institute. It's, you know, the Harvard of culinary schools. And oh, yeah. I eventually um, uh, became on the board of trustees and eventually became the first ever alumni board chairman. Uh, and uh, I led that school for a number of years and, and a great relationship
0: there. Let's let our listeners know the name people would recognize is Ocean Prime. That, of course, is your crown jewel of your restaurants. And talk about where you, I mean, Beverly Hills, my hometown, Cameron.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're at Beverly Hills, uh, New York City, Manhattan, Boston, D.C., you know, Florida, Texas, Chicago, you know, Ohio, uh, Colorado, Denver, Scottsdale. Um, and we've got several more in development currently. So
0: I say that. Opening your first restaurant is a live by the sword, die by the sword type Mm -hmm. of experience. Mm -hmm. And I know from personal close experience, I had a brother-in-law who opened a restaurant in LA and it started off great. He got a lot of attention. The whole thing just went down the toilet. It -hmm. was 24 seven, you know, it was impossible. And I need to know your first experience when you finally got the money to open your first restaurant that you owned.
1: Well, the story itself, I went 14 months uh, without a paycheck to get my first restaurant open. And, wow. you, know, I, I, you know, I prepared for that. I was 29 or 30. I guess I just turned 30 when I opened my first restaurant. And I run a small group of six restaurants after I graduated culinary school in my early my mid 20s. and. And, you know, I'd been in the business then for now 12 years at that point and really kind of steered my whole career towards that, wanting to be president of a restaurant company. The most important thing I did um, in the very beginning, I'll never forget at my one bedroom apartment, um, before I started looking for a location or anything else, I wrote out our company culture and values and, and, and I spent about 30 days, I had, you know, uh, Ah, uh, poster boards all over the walls, and you know, books everywhere, and wadded up pieces of papers, and renderings, and scratches, and and wrote out this company culture um, that and and about what kind of company I wanted to build and those values, and and then set about the course of building a restaurant company based on that culture and values, um, and I've been doing that ever since now for about twenty eight years, and it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed, but for
0: people listening right now, thinking a. We are still making it through this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Some of them may be restaurant owners. Some of them may have lost their restaurant. We know that hundreds upon hundreds of single-owned individual restaurants have gone under. It's been a horrific time. Talk about the really difficult moments. We can sit here and talk about how great everything is now, but mm-hmm. do you remember times, can you speak of something specific where you thought, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging by a thread?
1: Yeah, we like to call those near-death experiences, and I've had a number of them along the way. There's uh, uh, no doubt about it, and I've used that uh, that that experience. Uh, that was very helpful to get me through COVID now. When, uh, we had near-death experience with COVID. It was horrific there in the beginning. you know, We, we closed all of our restaurants in a matter of four days and went from $325 million a year in revenue to zero in four mm-hmm. days. It was just brutal. But, uh you know, I, one that comes to mind, other than COVID this year, which everybody knows about, but uh, on 9-11, when nine eleven hit, I had uh, three restaurants scheduled to open the next 45 days, and, you know, we had nobody in our dining rooms. It was a tragedy to beset America there, the attack, and, you know, on nine eleven was tragic, uh, but I remember going to work on nine twelve. you know, what are we going to do? You know, we had no money. Uh, we had three restaurants getting ready to open. There's, you know, Nobody's flying. The airlines are shut down, and, and America basically got shut down. And you know, we had to figure out a way through that too. And and a number of times over the years, I've had to call friends on Thursday night to, to make payroll on Friday. You know, um, but um, you know, there's there's you know uh, been a lot of those difficult times over the years. I, I remember my bank came to me in two thousand four and announced that uh, our credit cards have been hacked into. We were one of the very first companies that ever had our credit cards hacked into. And, and the original uh, deal was gonna be $25 million in penalties and fines to us. And, you know, we'd done nothing wrong, but, um, and finally we were able to, to work our way out of that. And I ended up paying about a million six, but mm. I was relieved that day when I realized it was only a million six, because then I knew <laughs> um, it wasn't a fatal blow. We were gonna be able to handle that. And, the bank lent us the money and we paid it off over a few years. But uh, so there's been a lot of those throughout the, you know, no entrepreneur, every entrepreneur has to go through that. You just not, it's never smooth sailing, but I, I live by, you know, failure is not an option. It's just, uh, you know, I fear failure all the time. Uh, but I also know my heart is not an option. You know, I'm a true entrepreneur in a truest sense of the word where, you know, you figure out a way, you know, whether it be around, dig through it, change course, whatever the case may be, but there's always a solution somewhere. You just need to look hard enough for it and work hard enough for it. So, Well,
0: in the beginning, um, when you were growing this chain,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what would you say to yourself? Do you have a mantra on a loop tape in your mind? I like to hear these from entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I remember Steven Spielberg said that when he was shooting Jaws, he was way over budget and he was terrified to tell the studio. This was his first big picture. He was in his Mm twenties and he said he was literally sick to his stomach at night. Mm -hmm. And he resorted to putting talismans under the pillow. Somebody said, Oh, you know, this'll, this, this'll bring you good luck. But in his mind, he kept saying, I've got to get through this. I've got to get through this.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, um, not much could have been worse for me than when I was a runaway in high school dropout and, I had to scrape by, scrape twenty-eight cents together through couch cushions and so forth to buy a box of macaroni and cheese and cook it without any butter or milk. Uh, so you know, I had been down to the depths of the bottom, and and so, no matter where I was, I was still farther ahead than where I was at the bottom, and 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 I just would refuse to uh, give up. I mean, my it took fourteen months the first restaurant to open because I had a a deal done. I'd raised the money and was getting ready to sign the lease. Uh, I worked six months on a project and the landlord went bankrupt at the very last minute. The bank repossessed the building and said, we don't want a restaurant here. You need to go away and start over. So I had to send all my partners their checks back and uh, find a new site, do a new business plan, raise the money again and, and get after it. But uh, I just refused to quit. And, and I I remember laying in bed. We just bought a new house, uh, with my wife here, uh, we moved in uh, April 3rd. So we'd shut down our company January or March 24th. Mm. And, you know, she's like, are we going to lose our house? Are we going to lose the company? And, you know, I said, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, we've made it through all this so far and I fig- I'll i figure out a way. Uh, but I can't guarantee you that. And, um, and you know, but again, um, you know, I got up every morning, went back to work. You know, uh, you know, we closed on Friday or Saturday that weekend and I was back to work Monday and, and figuring out a way to, to get through it. And and so what's your message to
0: would-be entrepreneurs about the hard times?
1: Uh, you know, I tell people, everybody that it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And it, it's, it's, it's continually full of challenges. You know, our, our, being an entrepreneur is not for the faint of heart uh, by any means, and you know, you remember that old uh, uh, doll or blow up thing. And as a kid, you could punch it and knock it down. It would pop back up, you know, weevils, yeah.
0: wobble, but they don't yeah. fall down.
1: And that's the analogy I use about me. I, you know, you could punch me down, um, but I'm going to get back up and get right back up. And yes, sir, may I have another and uh, we'll figure it out. So um, it, it's it's amazing that a lot of people don't realize that when they get into being an entrepreneur they don't understand the sacrifice that they're going to have to make um, really just to make it happen. And uh, In the early days, you know, when our first son was born, um, I would come home at you know, I'd get up at leave at 8, uh, you know, or exercise and leave at 8, 830. And I'd come home for dinner, uh, see my son and go to bed and say hi to my wife and go back to work at 7, 7 for an hour and go back to work till midnight and do it every day and including Sundays. You know, so... Um, you you have to prepare if it was easy i like to say if it was easy everybody would do it and you know i call it the ticket window of life what are you willing to pay to get to where you want to be and if you if you're you know if you want to go to the top and you know you want to become president of restaurant company well then by golly you better be ready to pay the price and and i remember culinary school i went 105 days straight without a day off at one point and i would commute down to new york city every weekend and drive the hour and 45 minutes on the Taconic Parkway to go work in the city on the weekends and, and go to class Monday through Friday. And it's just what I needed to do. You know, so, uh, and you know, uh, entrepreneurs need to do what they need to do. And there's just no way around it. There's no shortcuts.
0: This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. I hear from a lot of entrepreneurs, oh, it's so hard to find great employees. Mm -hmm. You have a very interesting philosophy when it comes to your team members, Mm -hmm. even down to what you used to be, the dishwashers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And everyone always says that when you're running any kind of retail, whether it's a restaurant or a store, the customer is always right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You say what?
1: Yeah, I don't believe in that. I actually, um, I look at it as a triangular relationship. Our associates come first. Uh, that's what we call our employees. We have, uh, we used to have 4,500 pre-COVID. We're down to about 3,500, 3,800 now. But uh, uh, those um, those people are the lifeblood of our business. And so uh, they're the most important aspect of our business. So I look at it as a triangular relationship. You know, I like think I take care of our people. If we take care of our people, our people will take care of our guests and our guests will take care of our company. So I actually say we don't even have a direct relationship with a guest. We have a direct relationship with the people we serve and uh, who work w- uh, with us and, and spend their time with us. And they they know they're the most important to us and, and they in turn care about us. And so they, they in turn want to take great care of our guests. And uh, you know, we have, uh, uh, we're one of the top restaurant companies in the country in terms of uh, percent of profitability and same store sales gains every year uh, because of the way we have some of the industry lowest turnover of our people um, because of the way we take care of them uh, and just a couple simple of examples of that is you know we're closed major holidays all major holidays because I want our people to be with their families and so forth where we could make a lot more money if we were open on some of these major holidays but yeah you it's, could it's just not the most important thing to us and you know, when I sold, I sold uh, our 22 restaurants in 08 to, uh, it was Chris for $92 million. I gave 5% of that, 4.6 million to our team, to our management teams. Every manager in the company got a share of that money along the way. Even the ones of the restaurants we sold uh, to say thank you. And, you know, I didn't have to do that. You know, I could have taken that $5 million for myself. Uh, but I wanted to give it to our people. So it's those kind of things. And. And you know we have hundreds of C.M.R. marriages, Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. That's their
0: <laughs> oh, oh, really?
1: Uh, marriages, uh, babies. We have uh, a number of uh, family siblings working together, husbands and wives working together in a company, and and you know it's a true family affair. We you know we care for our people. We raised uh, a bunch of money here right after the COVID broke out to take care of our people, and um, it's just uh, uh, they don't forget that, and and. And they want to take care of us, and so uh, because of the way we take care of them. So we have a little motto in our company, uh, and it's title of my book called "Yes Is the Answer." What's the question? You know, we we don't uh, we don't say no. I mean, if you want time off, yes. You know, uh, you know, can I do this? Yes. Can I? You know, whatever. We we want to take care of our people, and that also translates to our guests. Yes is the answer with our guests too. You know, you can't come into our restaurants and you know. Uh, can I get something different? Yeah, well, yes, sure you can. If we can do it, we'll do it. And and so that's that methodology, and that kind of culture and values. Um, you know, uh, we define ourselves as great people delivering genuine hospitality. And that's so easy to define these cultural pillars of our organization It's we all know great people in our lives. Delivering means someone's uh, receiving genuine uh, means from the heart and hospitality, treating guests and people like we treat people in our homes. So, that's how we treat everybody.
0: And it sounds like yes is the answer. What is the question and your philosophy about how that should be when you run a business could translate to anybody's business?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I've gotten hundreds of letters over the years of uh, people who have left our company either start their own restaurant or go in, 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 in whatever they were endeavors they were working towards. And, have written me back and said, you know, listen, I've used your culture and philosophy and values and my new, you know, business or whatever. And I can't thank you enough for instilling that in me and sharing that with me and, you know, on and on and on.
0: Well, it shocked me once. Okay. I'm going to totally call out somebody here, the company here, but I, we ski and veil. I love it. And we love sushi. So, you know, you go to Matsuhisu Nobu, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said, why are we even going here? I went there and, you know, typical Californian. You're like, can I have the the chicken salad without the chicken and without the salad? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we always have to special order, especially Jews. I'm Jewish. You know, everything has to be changed. You know?
1: mm-hmm.
0: It's so stupid. But I said, can I have the spicy tuna roll? Do you have brown rice? No. OK, that's weird. But OK, fine. I'll do white rice. But can I have spicy tuna with some avocado? No, no special orders. Yeah. Like, you guys ain't that great. OK, there are other options. But, you know, I thought to myself, that's, that's not a great way to run a business.
1: Right. Oh, it drives me nuts.
0: But that that seems to be the thing that, that can translate to any any type of business where you say, you know what, we'll figure it out. We'll help. We'll try our best and make it work for you. Yes is the answer. What is your question? Cameron, what do you want to leave us with? Because again, we have a lot of people right now who dream of starting their own business. And sometimes, you know, Shakespeare said, it's an ill wind that blows no good. Meaning Mm -hmm. there's always something that comes good out of something horrible, or if nothing good comes out of it, it really is an ill wind. Mm -hmm. And what we found with COVID is that people who lost their jobs are like, well, it's now or never. I I could do something here that I've always dreamed of doing. What's your message to them?
1: Well, um, first of all, as we already touched on, is goal setting, you know, setting your goals, writing your goals down. And I still, to this day, so uh, Liz, I'm at what I call the fourth quarter of my career. You know, I've been in the restaurant business over 40 years now, and um, I'm definitely in the fourth quarter. Maybe I get some overtime. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> I have on my desk uh, my yellow legal pad. I always use them, and it says it's entitled My Fourth Quarter Goals. So I still have, I still goal set today and write out my goals today. So, Goal setting first and foremost. Secondly, uh, prior preparation, you know, I was preparing for 12 years for my leap, uh, to go on my own. And, you know, I've learned so much since then, obviously. Uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of people jump in without the preparation and just think, well, I'm just going to do it. It's going to be easy. And, and it's not, um, you, you have to understand that yeah. to be willing to sacrifice and to work harder than you ever thought, it's going to take twice as long as you ever thought. And, uh, it's going to be easy to quit. You know, uh, a lot of people can quit and, uh, uh, but you know, the worst thing can happen to you is failure, you know, and, and okay, you fail. And, uh, what's worse, you know, going through life, um, never taking that chance, never push yourself or, or maybe going through life and failing, you know, many entrepreneurs you see fail the first time and come back and do it again and, and are more successful a second time. So, um, you know, it, it is a part of being an entrepreneur. You're going to take steps backwards. You're going to get hurt. Um, but as long as you're prepared for that and you've you've thought out your business and remember it's people, you know, uh, I tell people all the time, you know, we talked earlier about some of the, what I you know, those uh, those hairy moments along the way, that people are generally willing to help you. All you can do is ask. A lot of people are afraid to ask for help. And, you know, I found all along, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't really for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people helping me along the way and, uh, you know, giving us a chance and yeah. so forth. Those original partners that invested that took a chance, so, you know, on and on and on. And, um, you know, you, you you need, you cannot do it alone. This is not a single game. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a team game. Any entrepreneur uh, has to understand that and they will not. Get there by themselves they need to enlist the help of and support of many many people around them and do the work yeah and always do the right thing you know never cut corners you know i remember i our, our, we just opened i've been open about a year my my we just opened my second restaurant and our executive chef who was really really good at the time i was at our first restaurant i was opening the second and uh he ended up uh you know verbally abusing uh one of our Female managers. You know, this is twenty-five years ago, mm-hmm. twenty-seven years ago. We have a part of our culture is we treat people with eloquent language and respect and all that sort of thing. And, uh, and I, I uh, went, found out about it. I left and immediately went to the restaurant and I ended up firing him. And you know, if, if uh, and within minutes of arriving in the building, and it was these what I call these crucial tests of our culture. You know, our associates come first and if I allowed that to continue and didn't fire this guy, then, you know, our culture might as well throw it out the window. So you get these tests along the way that, you know, you have to do the right thing um, or else you just throw out all your hard work out the window. And I, I didn't have a chef to replace him. You know, I promoted two young little white right behind the years, two chefs. <laughs> I just said, Oh, you guys are in charge now. <laughs> and um, you know, one of those uh, young guys is still with me today, but uh, mm. so anyways, it's just, it, it, it you get those, uh, they come in many different shapes and forms, yeah. but you're going to get tested like you never tested before.
0: And you're still getting tested, and you're still throwing every fastball and curveball at your business, trying to keep it going during difficult times, and you are succeeding. We wish you the best of luck, Cameron. Thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you, Liz. It's been a pleasure to be with you today.
0: Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurant. And I hope you guys heard through that message. One of the most important things that jumped out was where he said he worked 105 days straight. Mm -hmm. Okay, get ready. That's what winners do. You look at these people, all of my guests on Everyone Talks to Liz, none of them took the shortcut because the shortcut doesn't lead you to the top. So uh, Cameron really eloquently puts it all together. and, um, And once you get that money, or even if you're trying to grow it or build it, Come watch me 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network, the claim and countdown, the all important final hour of trade. I'll see you guys next time.